today um let's see if I took my temperature it would be I'd probably be put in the hospital for like some kind of rabbit infection in my body today <laughs> my is it this ALS life just getting to you oh it is every bit this ALS life and you know other parts of life right we always forget about that when we talk about it you know, how we are as ALS caregivers and, you know, all the other parts of life that go, go with it. Like you were raising your son when uh, your Tom was so sick and, you know, my kids are older, but different challenges present themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think people do forget when you're caregiving that there's so many more things to to just the caregiving that takes up such a large amount of your time, but then you're dealing with things that are like in our case, we, towards the end, we had things happen to Tom that were not ALS related, but they were still, you know, scary and significant to his health. He, you know, had kidney stones and um, issues with trait changes that, that all caused more problems on top of his ALS life. And it causes that concern, like, what do you do about this one thing that leads to another thing? And when do you get intervention, you know, medical intervention, when do you need to call the providers and line things up? And so, so right now we're dealing with Tom as a diabetic. He's been a diabetic for 10 years, diagnosed for 10 years, three years after he was diagnosed with ALS. And I think, you know, that's really tough, diabetes and ALS together, because how do we how do we manage our diabetes as adults, type 2 diabetes? We're all offered the same solutions. You have to exercise. Well, what does that look like for somebody who has ALS? It's not easy. And over time, he's just got all the medications you can have. He did well for the first few years that he was diabetic. He was more mobile. He was only on one medication. He was pretty much controlled by diet. He was more amenable to being controlled by diet then than he is now. And now he's on three, four, five, four, three oral antibiotics. I mean, sorry, <laughs> I'm still thinking about my infection in my brain here. <laughs> um, three, three oral diabetic medication, the long, a long lasting insulin and short acting insulin. Short acting insulin is fairly new and he's, we're really struggling to keep his, his insulin at a level point for most of the day. You know, of course the surges with food and stuff like that is perplexing to say the least. And I see some other problems going on with him. He's got some more cognitive confusion and some loss and some understanding at times of complex issues 
you know, when we're talking about life issues, I was talking to him recently about my mom who was in the mid stage of Alzheimer's. My sister cares for her, but on, on the other side of the country for me, but I handle her finances and it gets complicated and it gets mucky and then he can't really understand it. And I will say that the biggest thing that upsets me about that, not being able to share that information is that he's here and I'm unable to share it in the way that we used to share things. And that feels so hard. I mean, I could cry. Feels alone. I, I, I get that. I mean, I know, it, especially when you're making big decisions. I was going to ask as you were talking, is it hard to discern what is, because you had mentioned, you know, and, and we've been friends a long time. You know, he had the encephalitis when you were first married. Um, and that caused some cognitive changes and then the ALS and ALS can cause cognitive changes, even though, you know, when you read what's out on the internet, it talks about, it's a very small, you know, small portion of the population that experiences some form of FTD, but we're, we're kind of learning that it's, it's not as small as one would think my Tom, um, experienced it. So is it hard sometimes to kind of discern what is ALS, what is diabetes, what is, you know, this or that? Because I know I ran into that a lot and in my head, I would have to think to myself, okay, so is this something we want to get treated for? Is this, you know, because I mean, Tom was in his fifties, so, you know, there were some concerns, um, you know, there were some prostate issues. And do we, do we go further? Do we check further into this? You know, and, and it was always came back with no ALS is going to be what is what we deal with. We're, we'll deal with everything else and, and manage everything else that comes. So is, I was just wondering, is it hard to kind of figure out what is what and how to tackle which complication it is exceedingly complex to pull it apart. I'm not sure that I'll ever be able to pull it apart. If I, if I brought him in for, you know, if I made an appointment, I met the, talked to the neurologist and we did cognitive testing, we might be able to pull it apart, maybe, but then I would be putting him through a lot. And he's 68, he'll be 69 soon. I don't think he would sit through all those tests and I don't see what good it does for him. Um, I I'm, I almost could hear people listening saying, but it would be good for me because I would know. And that is true. But then I do know because I see it. So, yeah. and I'm learning. I'm learning uh, not to share things that will be frustrating for me. They're not frustrating for him because he will forget them. A lot of it has to do with the executive functioning ordering and that can also affect you with ALS. So, you know, what comes first, right? Like the encephalitis or the cognitive impairment from ALS. And do, do I need to know the difference? Can we even tell the difference? And what can anybody do about it? Yeah, you have to have big picture it. Like in the big grand scheme of things, how is this weighted? That's how I always had to kind of look at things as, how much weight do I have to put to this? Is it, and what would he want? Um, he, Tom, my Tom, um, 
he checked out a little bit in his care and really relied on me a hundred percent. And I think that's kind of what you were talking about just a few minutes ago was making decisions, especially when they're big, heavy decisions uh, about healthcare that you just don't have that your person, your Tom or my Tom to help make those decisions. Cause my Tom would always just shrug his shoulders at me. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, you know, like whatever, Laura would, and it's like, gosh, it would have been great to have some input because I don't know what I'm doing. I am not educated in, you know, healthcare. And it was always just very, it was hard. It was a big burden to have to make the decisions that, that I found myself making. It's murky. It's like murky water. Like where, when do I decide to do, to make the appointment to go take them to one of his healthcare providers and, and what is the issue and what can be done about it and how, how discomforting will it be for Tom, you know? So right now I have a couple of things that weighing in my mind, things that you and I talked about, um, about his diabetes that I have to, I just have to think about and process, which I'm better at doing than I used to. I used to be much more reactive and that works against me when I'm reactive, when I'm emotionally reactive to things. I'm really working on it. So if we talked about, you know, we t- I talked earlier about not on the podcast, but with you about self-care, the very o- overused term of self-care. Um, for me, self-care doesn't come from healthcare for me. It comes from uh, my, the way I process things, how I'm going to process whatever is coming at me. How have I learned to do that? And and I see it working for myself now. It's been going on for a few years. I've learned how to do meditation and, you know, really thought provoking, you know, moments for myself and um, a lot of mindfulness in my life and, and some exercise. And so I see it working. It's slow, but I think that that's a good thing when it's slow because uh, it sticks better with me. It means it means I'm learning not to share the things that are going to frustrate me to share with him. But they don't, I get nothing out of it except for to be more irritated. And then I really lose my patience because I've been doing this a long, 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 long time with him. And it's the last couple of months that I've really progressed. And you've heard him on the phone a couple of times last week with me. I had you on speakerphone. And that last phone call that we had when you were on speakerphone, you said to me when I took you off speakerphone, he doesn't remember that, does he? Which you're only the, the only other person who ever witnesses that is my daughter, Kate. There's really nobody else around here to witness that on a regular basis. So it was it was somewhat affirming for me for you to hear that because I tend to think, why wow, you're so impatient? Stop being so impatient. And I'm and I'm not impatient with him. I'm like impatient internally, impatient. I have the like that ongoing conversation. You know, he repeats things over and over, and I say to myself, not to him. I say to myself, stop repeating that. <laughs> it's just uh it's it's murky water to know what to do about it I don't I don't have a great answer right now I'm still thinking about what how I need to what direction if any that I need to go in um or just let things play themselves out a little bit longer and see what happens and then it's also like quicksand I will say this I start out every day so optimistic I wake up in the morning I wake up by myself I sneak out of bed 
I almost tiptoe out of the room so he doesn't hear me. If my bed squeaks, I just I just want to burn it because it's he's going to hear that. He's going to wake up because it'll be like my one time where I'm really alone in the morning and I have my coffee and maybe if it's nice and warm out, I sit outside. And lately he slept a little bit longer, which was also concerning. That's going into the big picture for me to think about things. But I have so much hope in the beginning of the morning. I'm like, I'm going to get all this stuff done. And then I'm like, you got shit done. And it's three o'clock in the afternoon. What did you do? I did not sit around eating bonbons. I I barely had enough time for lunch today. I did squeeze in a workout. But really, what else have you done? And really, what I've done is just managed them all day. I've managed him and his talking and his not understanding something else and explaining that and doing the ideals with them and the shaving and the, you know, showering and dressing and all that kind of stuff. And then it's three o'clock and I think, well, well, that was one, one fast seven hours right there. <laughs> yeah. But that's a lot. I think it's, um, I used to think to myself, I tell people all the time, lower your expectations. Cause I have no idea what's going to happen and please don't expect a lot out of me. Um, but in the same breath, I'm always in my head thinking I should be doing more. I should have accomplished more and not giving myself the credit. And I can say this now because it's hindsight, right? Hindsight's 2020. Um, that the fact that I woke up and took care of him, Tom was, was achieving a lot. So don't sell yourself short. You've accomplished a great deal today and you're podcasting. Oh my gosh. So you're doing that too. Yeah, so that's a lot. We just, we just in our head think that we should do more. Well, cause I think we do like to do more. I mean, I like to be really busy. So productive. I, I think I agree, but it's just redefining what that productive is. You helped him shave and his ADLs and got him fed and monitored his blood pressure or his, um, his blood sugar and, and all those different things. Yeah. And it's a different it's a different, it doesn't feel productive in the way that I'm used to feeling productive. Right. And I, that's a challenge at times. So you can't, well, I'm hard on myself. You're hard on yourself too, but I want to be doing more. Yeah. I got myself a nifty printer to print some of my photographs and you know, I printed out two maybe and I'll get to it. I know it'll all be there, but I think that's, I think that's a part of grief, just missing, um, missing what was in your own life for yourself, not necessarily missing the person, the grief you have with Tom after he died or the anticipatory grief that I experienced with Tom, or there's another kind of grief. And I forget what it's called when the person you love is still here, but they've changed due to whatever reason and trauma, which is also my Tom. And I have experienced that. And I still, all these years later, I still miss who he was, who the person I married. But I think even now I miss even who he was just even a year ago, maybe. Yeah. And I also miss what I was able to do as a person because I do, as I'm, I am really very much an introvert, but that does not mean that I don't enjoy going out, cutting it up and having a good time and seeing my friends and then coming back to rest from it all. And, you know, that's my, that's my introvert in me. I, like as a teacher, I never got energy from my students. I put out all my energy. I gave them all my energy and then I would need to rest on my drive on the way home because it was tiring for me. 
Um, but I, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. I loved all of that. And I don't have that. And it's, it's really hard to define who I am right now for myself. It's a struggle. I get that on, on this side of the journey, my struggle is, I don't know who I am. And like, I, I find myself at the end of the day going, I didn't accomplish crap today. But when I look back, you know, and I reflect on the day, which I think the one thing I can say with this journey through ALS and through the beyond part, the, the, on the other side is I've become more reflective, more, I don't know, more gentle with myself mm -hmm. as far as the expectations. I mean, I still have that. I mean, I tease all the time. I'm kind of a control freak, but but at the end of the day, sometimes I just have to think to myself, I got up today. I interacted with the world. Maybe it wasn't what other people, how they would want me to interact, but I still interacted. I sent a few emails, a few likes on Facebook. Um, and so, you know, at the end of the day, I've just got to be happy with what I did accomplish. Even though I agree, when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to work out and I'm going to do this. I'm going to respond to this and I'm going to do this and work on the book and and, you know, maybe I cook myself dinner mm -hmm. and, but you know what? I cooked myself dinner. I didn't DoorDash it. So it's the little, I'm just, just refocusing on what I consider a success. Oh, I like that. That gives me sort of repositions my brain a little bit on that. You can get so lost in your own head in this this kind of caregiving that we've done and 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 the beyond for you because it's uh -huh. so all consuming it is it is and you know and that was one of the drives to do this podcast was for our ALS caregivers those who are currently caregivers or are living beyond caregiving with from ALS it's so complex that it's hard to process in the current and in the future, what all that is, and to kind of tease it apart. And so to put it in the mainstream of caregiving does a disservice to how we feel and what are the things that we are, that we're going through. Like I can be really hypersensitive at times, you know, like, um, you know, I'll communicate with a family member and it'll be just by text, not, not my kids, like maybe my siblings. And I don't, you know, we don't really communicate that much. They don't really know about this life. They don't ask about it and I don't talk about it. So then therefore I don't really talk to them because that's really all this life is. It's yeah. so consuming and you get into your own uh, bubble. You do. I didn't, there was a lot of people I didn't, I just didn't have the energy to communicate what this life was outside of just my little inner circle when we were going through the journey. And even, I think even now in this, you know, post ALS life, it's too exhausting. It takes too much energy and it's really hard to repeat things over and over again. Like it was hard to repeat over and over again. Tom's paralyzed. Tom, you know, needs a ventilator to breathe, or, you know, we have to be very careful of people coming into the home. It just is hard to repeat that stuff mm -hmm. over and over again. It is. And even, um, so you're good at writing, you know, you're, you're good at journaling and writing. Well, I don't know really if you journal, but cause I'm not there. So I don't really know if you journal, but I'm, I'm not a journaler for sure. 
And if I write something, it's usually, it's usually after. I know I hardly ever write when I'm in the moment. I would I have like total writer's block when I have to articulate how I feel on paper. I could talk about it, but to actually have to write it out is a different story. Um, a lot of times my writing, it's not, I'm not writing, I'm photographing. I use my photography often that really, really is uh, entwined with my feelings. So I don't even know if I take Yeah, I mean, you do, you post a lot of, well, even, I mean, you know, a few years ago when you had the ability to get out of the house more, there was a lot of, you could, you could see that kind of meditative, you know, journey that you were on based on the photos that you were taking. Yeah. And, and I don't have that. I think the outlet, the, the writing, the blogging, which I don't do all the time. I mean, honestly, I'm, if I had to create content daily, I couldn't do it. I would total failure. I typically, um, that's my German shepherd, my spicy Remy barking. <laughs> um, I typically will write if the feelings are really, really strong and I don't know what to do with them or I don't know how to handle them. I don't journal at home. I used to, I don't do it anymore. I will just either do a post. I do a lot of posts on Twitter and Facebook and call them my widow truths. Um, as I'm, you know, journey, I did one this, this week about, um, avoidance behavior because I've been struggling with that, um, pretty, pretty hard since Tom died, certain things I just can't bring myself to do. And so I did a, a big old post and it was received really well. I have had a lot of people, um, comment on it. And one of them commented and it's, it honestly is the reason why I do this. I think, well, not even, I think I know, look, I'm using your, I think, um, yeah, really worked hard on this podcast. I'm saying, I only said, I think like three times. Okay. You just added one more. Um, <laughs> I cut myself off, <laughs> but someone posted and it's someone we know posted that they're reading, they're reading what I put because they know they're going to be in my shoes at some point and it's helpful to them. And I know that's why I do what I do. The reason I write it, because I, it is really important for me, for people to see that they can come out the other side, they can go through it. Cause I know I, I looked at you even when I was caregiving and I would, I would think to myself, okay, so Mary is, she's gone through the encephalitis. She's doing the ALS and you know, she's got this, I can do it or any other caregiver in the caregiver community that we know. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, I made it to the other side faster than many of those people that, that are in our community. And I hope I can be someone they look at and go, okay, well, Laura survived it. I can survive it. And so I don't know. That's why I think that's why I do it. I think, you know, that's why we're doing this, this, um, podcast too, was to share and hopefully someone will find something out of it. It is. And it's, um, we will, we will get a Facebook page up eventually. Maybe one of those mornings when I'm having my coffee, I'll, I'll focus on getting the Facebook page up. We could, we'll, 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 um, share it in some of the groups that we're in would be a good idea. Sort of, um, I know you shared it on Twitter. 
Um, we had a few a few listens, but we have to broadcast it out there. I'll put it on my personal page as well, and I'll make it um, shareable so other people can find us. You know, yeah. I I do believe these kinds of podcasts that are for a specific audience, they find their audience, they find the people who need to hear us. And oftentimes people are gonna listen to us in the middle of the night when you wake up. I've had more nights than I care to count where I went to sleep and then woke up in the middle of the night, unable to go back to sleep. And I make a bath for myself and we could talk about that. Maybe on another podcast we did. I think we did. Oh, I, I cut myself off again with I think. Okay. I was I going to pick up it. on it, Mayor. I was going for it. And then I said, don't say. Um, we we said in our last podcast that we would talk about what it was like when our husbands were diagnosed. And we could thread that into our conversations over our podcast. This this podcast was really beautiful for me to be able to do with you today. Cause first of all, I didn't want to, <laughs> I wasn't, I'm not in a good place in my head for big time sharing, but the sharing that I did do is really helpful for me. And I also know that there's a, there's a lot of caregivers out there who believe that I have it all together all of the time. I was one of them. And I don't have it all together. It's a very large disease. And most of us have very small shoulders. I have very small shoulders for this disease. And I, most days, I don't have it all, all the time. I have moments where I crack, where I fall apart, where I hate it. I can't stand any more of it. And then I get over it. I move on. I don't, I try not to stay there because it's very difficult to stay in, in that bad place. For well, we don't have time. I mean, yeah, we don't, you don't have time to, to stay in these places because, you know, at any moment you could get a text or hear an alarm and you're going to have to go and put your own emotions and fears and concerns aside to help your Tom. And and you're right. I think people see, they, they see what we put forward in social media, mm-hmm. which is why it's been really important that I try to be as honest and open about this process as I can. I had someone, had someone, I talked to someone from my previous life, my, my pre-ALS life. And they were like, it was on the phone and, and they were like, well, you sound good. You sound like everything's good. You're, you're, you're laughing and, and, and it sounds good. You sound good. You sound like you're doing good. And, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, well, in this very moment I am, but you didn't see me, you know, last night when I cried myself to sleep or this morning as I'm struggling to, you know, finish probate stuff. And, and, and that is hopefully what this, you know, we can share all the sides of ALS. So in the middle of the night, when the person wakes up and they're searching the caregiver or the, or the person with ALS, and they're searching for just something tangible to read or to connect with. So they don't feel so alone that maybe this is something they'll find. That's how I found you, Mary was the middle of the night after Tom was, I think we were a couple of weeks into the diagnosis and I was laying next to Tom and I could, 
I could feel the fasciculations mm -hmm. in his leg. And, and I don't, and I thought to myself, how long have they been going on? And I just didn't pick up on them. But now I was so, you know, laser focused on, on him that I could lay next to him and feel them, you know, our legs and I could feel it in his shoulder. And, and I got on my phone, I just grabbed my phone and laid next to him and, and started searching and typing in, you know, veteran with ALS, ALS caregiver, veteran ALS caregiver. And it, after a few kind of like, you know, link to link to link, I found the Elizabeth Dole Foundation website and their hidden heroes and, and stumbled on you. And then I went out to face, I did what everybody does. I went to Facebook and started stalking you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and it did seem, you know, I was like, okay, that she's got this stuff going on. She's, but look what she's doing. Um, and then we became friends and, and I did realize that, you know, you, you can only handle so much just like I was only able to handle so much, but this is not what we share with everybody in our community. We don't, one, we don't have time to talk to everybody because we're so busy caring for the person that we love. Right. Um, and you know, there's the, I don't even want to reach out and talk to people because maybe I don't want to hear anything negative, mm -hmm. but I quickly learned, I need to know the whole thing in order to prepare for this journey. I need to know the good, bad, and the ugly. And I went on a search for things. And again, that's how I, that's how we, we met. Well, I'm so glad you did that because oh, me too. look at what good friends we, we are. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not very close with, I know a lot of people, but I'm not very close with a lot of people. I don't, I probably shared more on this podcast than, and which will go out into the World Wide Web. So many people will hear it, but I think it's good that they hear it because they should hear that I'm not invincible. You're not invincible. No. We, we really, we really have to forge through some tough stuff, just like everybody else who's walking in this lane that we are or drowning in this lane or feel like they're in quicksand some a lot of days lately I feel like I'm in quicksand that's what I'm going to call this podcast today quicksand quicksand because it does feel that way it feels like I can't move forward and I I definitely don't want to move backwards which we probably will have to do move backwards before it's all over so you fight it and you kind of stay right where you are and I can't get up and I can't get out and I can't go forward that's what it feels. Yeah, it's unsettling. And that is such a scary space to be in. And it's unsettling even now. I mean, those are the, those are words that pop into my head, like during the day is that how do I get to a point where I actually feel like I'm thriving in life and not just, you know, just existing or just being unsettled. I just, I haven't figured it out yet. And, you know, I'm a year into it. But people, like people to say you will. But yeah, well, I mean, you know, from the outside looking in, if you were to look at like my Facebook and Twitter posts, some people would go, oh my God, she's so strong. Oh my God, look at what she's doing. And really, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to, I just know I need to do this in a different way than what I did um, when we lost, we lost, well, you know this, we lost babies when we tried to have our family, I had two second trimester 
pregnancy losses, a set of twins, and then a son um, a year later. And that grieving just kicked my butt. In fact, I grieved 10 years and I wasted so much time on it. And I'm just trying to do things differently. That's, I think, why I, I don't know, I tackled the ALS journey with Tom differently, you know, head on, no regrets. Um, or like the tattoo says, you know, no regrets. Um, but I, I tackled it head on and that's what I'm doing with this. Um, I hope people can see that there's no right or wrong way to do this. There's just your way to do it. I like that. It's, it's how we're doing it. Yeah. We're doing it our own way. I'm looking for the, for the, um, I'm going to find them the lyrics to Rustin Kelly's song, Brave, when he says, this is how I feel that we are as caregivers and many like us are, that I stood by every promise that I made, that I tried best at selflessness, never took more than I gave. I tried to attach that song to this, but it plays the whole thing. And um, I don't really, I don't know the background of Rustin Kelly, but the song then goes into addiction and you could change that addiction for ALS for us. That's how I feel. We do ALS and that's, that's tough. I, it's a tough way to, to live. And there's no other way for me to live. There's no other way for you to live. And there's no other way for many of our ALS colleagues, caregivers, ALS caregiver colleagues that are out there, our peers to do anything less than that. And when you do that, that is so much to do. It is. It's exhausting. Well, let's wrap up this episode. I think it was a, it was a good one. I said I think again. That was probably six. Maybe somebody could count and then <laughs> it will turn. We'll turn it into a drinking game. Yeah, we count. every time every time one of us says, um, "I think," I could change it to "I believe." <laughs> I believe this was. I enjoyed this podcast. It does. It sounds a little maybe that we were down, but it is true. I I've been a little bit down. It's been a rough couple of days. I probably have many more ahead of me, but I do feel better. I feel lighter and I hope people who are listening feel lighter. I hope they feel less alone that we have these moments just like they do. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of people that tackle this disease privately. They're not as open as, as we are, as many that we see on, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram TikTok that they do this privately. And I've often wondered how, how can you, how can you do this disease without, you know, resources or having that someone to talk to, or to say, this is how I'm feeling and have someone hear you and see you. You've, you've been the person that opened my eyes to that kind of thought of, I see you, I hear you. And I hope our listeners understand, even if they're tackling this disease and the journey after um, privately that we see them and, you know, we hear them and, and maybe they can find some comfort, maybe not comfort, but knowing they're not alone and how they're feeling. That's, I think the scariest part is these feelings are so intense mm -hmm. um, and so scary that thinking that you're the only one going through it makes it a zillion times worse. Yeah, that's why we're sharing it. 
That's the that only reason why we're sharing it. Yeah. yeah. All right, then. Well, I will talk to you the next time, Miss Mary. Yes, ma'am. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. Okay, well, for quicksand, we're out. For quicksand, we're out. Bye, as I'm drowning. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.